0: Well, oh, God bless you guys. How you doing tonight? All right. How the rest of you doing tonight? All right. Good stuff. Well, if you're here in our room for the first time tonight, uh, joining us at our midweek service, or you're joining us online for our midweek service for the first time, we want to say welcome to all of you. Yeah, you can clap for that. <laughs> We are studying the book of 1st Peter here on Wednesday nights and we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9 tonight as we're working our way through 1st Peter chapter 1 and really tonight asking the question, how is your relationship with God? How's your relationship with God? It's an important question to ask. It's a question I've used in evangelism before when I have people you know, trying to uh, talk this or that at me and I just go, hey, how's your relationship with God? You know, and that kind of catches people off guard. Um, but it's an important question. You know, re- relationships are a foundational part and this whole book has really been about, about building our lives on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and relationships, like I was saying, they're a foundational part of our existence here on Earth. Everything we do is filtered through relationships of one form or another. That word relationship, it simply means the state of being connected to something or someone else. Relationships affect who we are, they affect how we develop in our lives as we grow, they affect who we become in so many ways. And, and really, you know, it's, it's, it, it just covers the entire scope of our lives. We begin our life with a relationship to our parents, right? Because we are given birth to. <laughs> and that is a relationship that starts in the very beginning. We have relationships as we grow with our siblings, if we have them, our grandparents, extended family, aunts and uncles. Then as we go through life, we develop relationships with friends, with coworkers, with professionals, our doctor, our mechanic, our pastors. Eventually, in life, some of us end up having romantic relationships with someone special. Those relationships can often develop into marriage, and that marriage relationship then leads to you then having a relationship with your children, and on and on and on. Some relationships are good, some relationships are bad, but they all influence us in one way or another. Well, if you're a Christian, you should know this, and if you're not a believer watching this tonight, I want to share with you that the most important relationship we can have, the most important relationship we will ever have, the relationship that will have the most critical influence on our life here and our life after we leave this earth is our relationship with God. That's the most important one. Sometimes this concept, however, of a relationship with God can be difficult to understand for certain people. You know, We talk about um, um, having a relationship with our creator and sometimes people are like, what does that even mean? Especially those who don't know God, don't have a relationship with him at all. They don't comprehend what we mean by a relationship with God. They look at what we do in the church as religion but they don't understand the relational part. And sometimes even brand new baby Christians who have just recently gotten saved still struggle with this concept of having a relationship with God. We speak of in the church of having a personal relationship with God versus a religious experience. You know, when I've had the opportunity to lead people to Christ, um, I love sharing with them that, hey, you didn't join a church. You didn't sign up to a religion. You've just reestablished a personal relationship with your creator. You have a relationship with God now that you didn't have before. But again, when we talk about that difference between personal relationship and religious experience, sometimes people are like, what does that mean? What is the difference between a religious experience and a personal relationship? Sometimes people might be like, you know, I'm reading my Bible and, and, and I'm praying and, and, I, and I talk to God and I listen but I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. So what do you mean relationship with God? Well, sometimes people can think that a relationship with God is gonna be exactly like the relationships with other people here on this earth. And there's a big reality that God does not speak necessarily the way you and I are most familiar with, right? He doesn't speak necessarily verbally to us, although that would be cool. I used to say before I got saved, my friend was working with me. We worked together every single day and he would just faithfully witness to me every single day and we'd go back and forth and you know, and my best informed intellectual rebuttal to all of his great apologetics were, yeah, but what if you're wrong? Ooh, wow, deep stuff for me, right? But I used to tell him, I'm like, look, if God poked his head out of the clouds, looked at me and said, hey, Nathan, boogie 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 and I was like oh and I heard his voice and I saw him I'd be a believer in a heartbeat and I used to say but that's never happened and so therefore I don't believe there's a God out there he doesn't send text messages he doesn't write emails right he doesn't call on our phone and be like hey what's up this is God you don't take God to lunch the way you would take someone else to lunch you don't go to the movies with God There's no Zoom calls, no hanging out in discord with him. So how do you have a relationship with God without being able to to hear from him the way you hear from people that you develop relationships with? To complicate the matter, the Bible tells us that he's invisible. He's invisible. So as a believer, the person that we have a relationship with and the person we claim to have a relationship with when we're sharing with our non-believing friends is someone that you cannot see with your eyes. And that makes the dynamic a bit more complicated because we're visual people. We interact with the world largely through what we can see. There's uh, 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 people that have lost their sight and have learned to interact with the world different ways, but normally we're, we're visual people. We like to see the people we have relationships with. We want to see their facial expressions. We want to see their body language. We, we use that to tell us, are things good, are things bad? And yet God is invisible. There was a book written a long time ago by H.G. Wells called The Invisible Man, and it's been adapted into movies of different kinds over the years. But the idea in this book is that there was some guy who developed a scientific way to make himself invisible, right? Right? And he thought that was a fantastic idea. I think maybe all of us at one point or another in our life have thought that being invisible would be really cool. Being invisible would be very beneficial, right? You can, you can go see what people really think of you, right? Because I'll have no idea you're standing there, you know? And so in this book, this guy thought exactly that. I'll be able to find out what people think of me. I'll be able to, you know, get through life in a different way. And so being invisible is great, but there was a problem, Because although he was invisible, he still had to interact with the visible world that he lived in. And so if he ate food, although he was invisible, you would see the food being, one, floating in the air, being chewed up in his mouth, and you would see the food go down his esophagus until it was digested and gone. If he picked something up, you would see it floating as he carried it down the street. And this was a problem for this invisible man. He was made visible by the effect he had on the world around him. And people would then know he was there. And in the book, as he was trying to maintain relationships with people, he found that people couldn't trust him because it was hard to trust someone you can't see. And that's often how the world thinks about God. Moses, in the Old Testament, heard God's voice. He saw miracles performed, but he wanted more. And so in Exodus chapter 33, 18, we find that he wanted to see God personally. He says this in Exodus thirty-three, eighteen: 18, please let me see your glory. And you guys know the story. God's like, you can't see all of me because it'll just, it'll destroy you, right? My glory is too much for humanity to behold in, in, in its full display. And so again, at our core, at our core, we want to we wanna see God. We want to touch God. I've talked with people in counseling that's like, you know, I believe God's there, but I'd really like to give him a hug. I'd really like to, you know, shake his hand, or I'd really like to look him in the eye because I'm struggling with something and I want to have a conversation with him, right? There's this, there's this desire to experience God, much like our relationships here on earth. And so again, the question, how do we have a relationship, a personal relationship with a being that is so different from us? You know, the Bible tells us that, that he's all-knowing. We, all, we know his attributes as believers. He's all-knowing. We're not. Bible tells us he's all-powerful. We're not. Bible tells us he's everywhere, present at all times. We're not. Right? So how do we, how do we interact? The reality is, is in many ways, we don't have a whole lot in common with this being whose name is God. So how do we? How can we? How how can we know that we have a meaningful, solid, personal relationship with him without being able to see him or hear him or physically interact with him the way we do with others? Well, in the verses we're looking at tonight here in 1 Peter, I believe there's three things that answer that question. There's two ingredients, if you will, that I believe are necessary to any personal relationship and are really the things that that show us this is how we are able to have a personal relationship with God. And then there's a principle, a third thing that's based on those two things. But to have a real connected relationship with any person, visible or invisible, two things I believe must exist. To have a meaningful personal relationship with anybody, two things must exist and those two things are love and trust these two things are inseparable these two things go together like like super tight That love and trust without these there isn't much of a relationship if you don't have love and trust with somebody there's not a whole lot of relationship there much of a connection at all and really many of us have experienced that just because i can see someone with my eyes just because I could touch someone with my hands doesn't necessarily mean I have any relationship with them in any way, shape, or form. And so like I said, verses 8 and 9 of First Peter here is going to speak exactly of these two things. And so let's pray, and we'll dive into it. Father, God, we love you. And Lord, in many ways, um, I think all of us want to love you more. God, we know that you are our creator. We know you died for us. You paid the price for our sins on the cross. God, you created the very reality of a relationship with you by tearing down the wall of sin and division that existed between us. And Lord, yet sometimes when we talk about this concept of having a personal relationship with you, it can, it can be a struggle. What, is, what does that mean? Lord, when we have relationships with our, with our spouses or our children or our friends or coworkers, there's something different about all that than, than our relationship with you, God. So what does it mean to have a personal relationship with God? What does it look like? And Lord, I pray tonight you would reveal that to us and you would encourage us, God. And if anybody is listening to this message and doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that, God, you would reveal to them the relationship you want to have with them tonight. God, we thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right verses 8 and 9 of 1st Peter chapter 1 it says though you have not seen him you love him though not seeing him now you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls So in those two verses we see the two ingredients he's talking about there love and then he says you believe in him. And that word believe means to trust in or to put your trust in. So we see love and trust here right in these opening two verses. Now, these two things, as I said, I believe these two, these two items are essential for any good, real, healthy, personal relationship. Relationships suffer and can die if love and or trust is violated. Those of you that have ever had those things violated in a relationship, they're very, very difficult to deal with. They're very, very difficult to get past. Sure, we have relationships that we call acquaintances with people and people we know a little bit and stuff, but those real deep personal intimate relationships require these two things. And so unpacking these two truths about a relationship with God, we see in these two verses, we're going to see that our relationship with God is based on love, and our relationship with God is based on trust. And as a relationship, because it is based on love and trust, it results in us, in this world today, being able to rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, regardless of what is happening in our lives. Sunday, I had the opportunity to, to teach the couple verses before this in dealing with trials and what trials were and why they happen in our lives. And the Bible has so much to say about the, the, the reality that we are able to have joy. And we're gonna talk about this in a moment, what he means by inexpressible joy, regardless of what's happening in this life because of God, because of Jesus Christ, because we know him and who he is and what he has done in our lives. And so this first thing is that our relationship with God, we have a relationship with him. Our personal relationship is defined by and through love. Look at what Peter says right there in the first part of verse eight. Though you have not seen him, You love him. The Greek is actually a little bit stronger than that. If you you look at it in the Greek, it says, though you have never even had a glimpse of him, you love him. We have to remember the audience that Peter is writing this letter to. They're people just like you and I today. They're not apostles who had walked with Jesus personally, who had been eyewitness accounts of his miracles and all his teaching. Peter said in the very beginning of this letter, it's scattered believers throughout Asia Minor. People who had never personally met Jesus Christ. They had never seen him with their eyes. They had never heard his voice with their own ears. They had never watched him as he spoke and taught. They had never sat down to eat with him. They had never walked with him. And in a sense, one could say that that they weren't even Personal followers of Jesus at all because they were actually converts of those who had been personal followers of Jesus. But they were people who loved him. They were the very people that Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17. In John 17, 20, he said this I pray not only for these, speaking of his apostles, but also for those who believe in me through their word. John 17 was Jesus's kind of final prayer for everything. His getting his affair in orders, if you will, before he left this earth. And these people that Jesus prayed for is the people that Peter is writing to. But it also means it's us, because we are just like them in the fact that we have never seen Jesus with our eyes. We have never heard him with our ears walked and ate with him. Now, there are stories of people who have had visions and, and, and supernatural events, and, and I'm not discounting those at all. But they're very, very rare, and the regular day-to-day relationship that most Christians have with Jesus is like the people who got this letter. They believed in him, yet having not seen him or sat with him personally or talked with him personally in the sense of hearing his voice, it can be difficult to process being in love with someone you can't see. The world struggles with this, right? For us falling in love, developing a love relationship with somebody, especially in a, in a romantic sense, often begins with the visu- visual element, right? I mean, that's just kind of how it, it works in this world. You see somebody across the room, and you go, oh, they caught my eye. I've noticed them. <laughs> Wow, they're attractive. And then you go, I want to get to know them. And if you have the courage, you approach that person, and you might say hi and introduce yourself. And then there's a verbal connection that goes from that. But but so much about visual is a primary place of connection. Now, there are instances where people connect without visual, but in so many ways, visual is always the first thing. You know, I was frustrated as a young adults pastor for years with, with um, young, young people who thought that the very concept of being visually um, attracted to somebody and going, wow, I, I, I want to get to know them and, and have that relationship, they thought, oh, that's sinful. That's somehow wrong. And, and so we spent time going through Song of Solomon and things and saying, you know, the, the fact that there's, the, there's a visual connection, a visual attraction to somebody is a completely okay thing. But in our world, the concept of saying, I could love somebody without seeing them, to be able to look into their eyes and gaze into their faith. The world says that's not possible. The world says that can't happen. And so it can be difficult for them to to accept the concept of having a relationship of love with somebody you can't ever see because it is such a normal part of our life. But We all know, and there's so many examples, in our lives and the world around us, of couples being separated for a time and still being able to develop and foster love in that relationship. Through letters, phone calls, texts, you know, some people, especially in the world, oh, long distance stuff doesn't work. Long distance relationships never happen. The place where I've seen long distance relationships flourish more than anywhere else is between Christians within the church because love can happen without having to constantly have visual sight of somebody. Now, it's hard to have a relationship like that. It's difficult to develop a relationship with someone you can't ever see face to face, to hear them in that regard. And nowadays, with FaceTime and Zoom and other video chat tech, you know, the days of communicating with somebody without being able to see their face are becoming rarer and rarer. But the concept that we can't have a relationship with God because we can't see him the concept that we can't have a love relationship with God, an agape, unconditional love for him and receive love from him because we can't see him, it's not true. Because he's invisible doesn't mean God's not lovable. First Peter chapter 2, verse 7, he actually says this in the New King James Version. He goes, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Now that word precious is, is awesome. We, we love him. Because he's precious to us. Because he's precious to us, we love him. Now, not, not Gollum precious, right? My precious. Not that kind of precious, right? It's the kind of precious, the, the kind of, you know, your, your spouse is precious to you. Your kids are precious to you. Your husband, your loved ones. That, that's one of the things that define a personal relationship, that they're special to me. They're important to me. And the essence of relationship is love. It's based on love and all the things that love is. And it's charity and it's favor and all of that. When someone is precious to you, and that word precious is way more than just, oh, I kinda like them and stuff. It's just that they're they're so important to your life. It's evidence that there is love. And love is evidence that there's indeed relationship. And so a great question to, to ask, whether you're asking yourself or asking someone, is do you love Jesus? I have a personal relationship with Jesus, great. Do you love Jesus? Because that's what you're saying. Do you love him? It's a fantastic way to examine whether or not someone does indeed have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, and this isn't to, you know, I'm gonna find out who doesn't and rat them out. That's not what it's about. But sometimes people like to claim, oh yeah, no, I know Jesus and stuff, and we wrestle, right? We, we see their life, and nothing in their life says that they care about Jesus nor what he teaches or what he says. And, and so do, do you love Jesus, right? It's a good question to ask. If you ask someone that question and they describe a, just this wonderful, consuming, intimate love for him, you go, oh, that's awesome, right on. But sometimes you might ask somebody, you know, do you love Jesus? And you're gonna hear, well, uh, well, my, my grandpa went to church, I didn't ask you if your grandpa went to church, I asked you, do you love Jesus? Well, uh, you know, me and the big guy have an understanding. (laughs) You know, it's funny when you ask people who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, and often those are the people that are going, what do you mean by personal relationship? They're uncomfortable with the whole concept of, of emotion and love for Jesus Christ. It makes them uncomfortable when you bring up that very concept. However, there are people who think they do or lie about it. Oh, yeah, I love him. And, you know, and they'd say it just because it's a nice thing to say. You know, and we don't know anybody's heart. We can't judge anybody's heart and stuff. But when you ask somebody if they love him, a great follow-up question is, that, that that's awesome. How do you know you love him? Is there any proof? And if you ask someone for proof, they might answer the way Jesus answered in John 14, 15. This is what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then in 1 John 5.3, John the Apostle, who, who apparently got this concept very well, said, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commandments. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Awesome. Do you love him? Yes, I do. How do you know? Well, the Bible gives us a couple parameters there. Now, we don't have the time to dig deep into those verses, but suffice it to say, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, he's not saying that as a Christian, in, in a believer who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will never sin, will never stumble, will never fail to keep all his commands perfectly. That's not what he's saying there when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. That's not what John is saying when he says, for this is what love for God is to keep his commands. What he is saying, what those verses do indicate is that, Those who are born again, those who are in a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that personal relationship is evidenced by the fact that they can't ever make peace with sin. They can't ever settle in with sin, make sin a friend, be okay with sinning. They can't ever just go on in sin without any sense of, this isn't right, I shouldn't be doing this, this is wrong. As a matter of fact, it's totally fine what I'm doing, even though it's contradictory to God's word. The the, the people who live like that, that think there is nothing wrong with me going on and sinning, probably don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because if you say, I know that I love him simply because when you mention the name of Jesus, I get all warm and fuzzy inside. That's not what Scripture indicates. You know, if you go to John chapter 14 in the upper room, I'm going to jump through some verses here, but this was during the Passover, during the, the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And, and, and we see the, the definition of all of this defined by Jesus. We see two themes that run through the whole story in John, John 14. It's interesting because the two themes that run through the whole thing are love and trust. In chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says, look, believe in God, believe also in me. That's trust, right? Trust me. Believe in me. Count on me. And then in chapter 14, verse 11, Jesus says, believe me or believe because of the works themselves, Right? So again, trust me, or at least trust what I've done. Trust the works that I've performed. But then in verse 15, he speaks of love, and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. This is the foundation of Christianity. This is Christianity 101. If you love me, be obedient to me. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, do what I'm telling you to do. And then in chapter 14 of John, verse 21, he says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. And then in verse 24, he says, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. Here's the point. If you don't love Jesus Christ enough to do what he says, or at least intend to do what he says and work towards doing what he says, then you don't really love him. And that may be a harsh reality. Because the world today, especially the world with the watered-down gospel, wants to say, oh, God loves everybody no matter what they're doing, and and they're just all going to go to heaven. And half of that is true. God does love everybody no matter what they're doing. But he cares about what they're doing that is blocking their relationship with him, and that's why he died on the cross for sin but we can 't go through life and saying, "I have a personal relationship with him and go How, what does this look like well um, uh, I, I you know half of what he says I do, the other half I just disregard because eh, i don 't believe in it' uh, it 's it's inconvenient for me you know I want to live whatever lifestyle I want, so I just push that part of the Bible away and that 's a very dangerous place to try and live in, and I think honestly that 's why in many ways, the world is confused. When they see professing believers go, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but they look at that same professing believer and they go, but the way you're living says you don't care about him at all. That you have no concern with what he says. Matter of fact, you live completely opposite to, to, to what you tell me the Bible says, and yet you tell me you love him. That doesn't make any sense. And I think that contributes to some of the difficulty in evangelism. That's why we talk about our witness and and all of that type of stuff. Love is the basis of relationship. And how do you prove you're in that relationship? How do you demonstrate that? Well, you do what he says. You endeavor to do what he says. It doesn't mean you do it perfectly all the time that you're 100% but it does say that when you fall into sin, when you stumble into sin, sin that just comes out of left field and knocks you over, or sin you contemplate and go, I'm gonna do it anyways. That there is this conviction within you that, oh my gosh, that was wrong, why did I do that? That, that demonstrates a relationship, but the, but the point is you're endeavoring. I want to obey God, I want to glorify him. My, my intention is to live in the way he's commanding, to, commanding me to live. And so just because he's invisible doesn't mean he's unlovable. Just because we can't see him doesn't mean we can't love him. Just because we can't engage with him the way we engage with people here doesn't mean we can't have a relationship with him because it's love that is the basis of relationship. Invisible also doesn't mean that he's unavailable. You know, just because you can't see Jesus doesn't mean he's not available to help you. The Bible tells us that he's our helper. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. That when we're struggling in life and we're having difficulties and challenges, all we need to do is call out to him and say, Abba, Father, please help me. You might say, you, he's not gonna help, you can't see him. But you can't see the police when you call 911, but they still show up. Now, I know that's not a perfect analogy, but it's all part of the love relationship. Just because you can't see God doesn't mean he can't be loved, doesn't mean he can't love you, it doesn't mean that he's unavailable. So, that's the first ingredient. When we say we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's evidence, it's demonstrated by our love for him. And that love is evidence and demonstrated by our intention, our endeavor to keep his commandments, to do what he says. The second thing in verse 8 there, Peter writes, Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. So he's highlighting these two traits in the people that he's writing to. And in this phrase, it's the same idea. Love and trust go together, as I said, they're linked, they're inseparable. Right in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 7, the great love chapter, it says this about a lo- about love. Love bears all things, love believes all things, and love hopes all things. One of the wonderful things about relationship is true love trusts. True love trusts. If you really have love, you're going to have trust. Now, in our human relationships, that can get attacked in all kinds of different ways, right? I know relationships where there's two people and a couple, and they both profess. They both profess and would, 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 would bet everything on the fact they're like, I love my spouse. I love my spouse. But because of circumstances and sin and the devil getting into details, there's, there's difficulty in trusting. And, and, and that's all part of human relationship. But our relationship with God, we can completely trust him. God will never let us down. And one of the things, one of the truths that we get to trust in, that are fundamental to our relationship with him, well, it's right there in the verse. It goes, though not seeing him now. One of the truths of Scripture is that we will one day see him. We will one day be out of this life. We will one day be with him in heaven. That is a truth we hang on to. That is a fundamental part of our personal relationship with him. He's not this far off God that's like in some other universe that kind of, you know, sent us a note once and we're trying to figure out if he's real or not. God is personal. God is real. God is effective. And I said earlier that invisible man, he would, he would affect the physical world around him. So many of us have seen the effects of God in our lives. And when we've seen God do what he says he's going to do over and over and over again, that develops a trust relationship. That when God says he's going to guard me and keep me all the way through this life to heaven, I could trust that implicitly, completely. Loving somebody and not trusting them is, 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 is dysfunctional. It's difficult. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Every single one of us that have been like, oh, just sometimes I wish I could see Jesus, give him a hug, interact with him physically. There is a time coming when the invisible will become visible, when the invisible will be tangible And that was the great hope of Job. You read through the book of Job and all that he went through. And he suffered so much in this world. Suffered the loss of of all his money and finances. He suffered the loss of his family, his health, his kids. And he said later on in Job, after my skin is destroyed, I will see God. And my heart longs within me. And so, yeah, we don't see him now, but we trust him with our future. And that's evidence of our personal relationship with him, our belief with him. Even though we don't see him now, we believe him. We believe in what he said, and we live like it. Paul said we walk by faith, not by sight. And so our personal relationship with Jesus Christ is is evidenced. By our trust in his word and trust in his promises. It's not, I believe he's just up there doing something and gonna you know, somehow affect, one, affect me one day. It's trusting him now. It's leaning on him now. It's, 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 it's confiding in him now. It's depending on him now because we believe in what he has said. We believe in his promises for the future. It's trust him. That's a part of a personal relationship with Jesus. And so love and trust, they're the, the two ingredients. These things bind us together in intimacy with God. They bind us together with him in our personal relationship. And this this relationship that is based on love and trust is ultimately fulfilling and satisfied and filled with joy we can't describe. Look, he goes on to say, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls you see there's a concept in Peter's mind that he's been weaving through you know the first part of his letter here and it weaves through his whole book it's about suffering But what suffering is encapsulated in all the way through his letter is joy. Verse six, he says rejoice. Verse eight, he says rejoice. Have joy. The concept is joy, inexpressible and glorious joy. That is the fruit and an evidence of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you may have been people who have found yourselves in a situation that is, so traumatic, so difficult, so life-altering, and and the people around you that don't know Jesus Christ are, 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 are there, maybe they're friends or coworkers and stuff, and they see how you react as a believer in the midst of great suffering and trial and difficulty, and they see joy and hope, and that rattles their brain every time it happens how can you be okay with XYZ happening? How can you be okay when fill in the blank? And the answer is, and will always be, Jesus Christ. They go, what does that even mean? I have a personal relationship with him. What does that even mean? Well, we just had a Bible study, so I'll share it with you. They don't get it. They don't get it because the world is without hope. And the world is dependent on its own ability to affect life and change, and it is broken, and it is, in, it is fallible, and it is lacking. And so humans without Christ are just so hopeless. And that's why we need to be the people that take this hope to them. Now, following his thinking, look, go back to verse 1 in First Peter. Verses 1 and 2, he goes, you guys have been picked by God. You're his chosen, his elect. Then in verse 3, he goes, that truth has given you a living hope. Verse 4, he goes, and an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. There's something waiting for you that is just beyond your, your, your imagination. Verse 5, and so when this life is all over, man, it's just going to be so much better in eternity. But because of all of that truth, verse 6, you rejoice even in the midst of suffering great trials here on this earth. Because you know, verse 7, that since, you are allowed by, since those trials are allowed by God, that they're refining you, they're good for you, they're preparing you for a future day where you're going to see and be with Jesus, the one you can't see now. They're preparing you for that day. So today, knowing that you're his, knowing that he's yours, evidenced by your love and your trust in him, you can rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what believers are called to display. It doesn't mean we don't grieve. We talked about that on Sunday. But even in our grief, we can find a place to have peace and joy. Now that word inexpressible, it's interesting. It says, it means above words, above language. Right? When Paul was caught up to the third heaven and he said, hey guys, I saw heaven and I can't even tell you what it's like. There's no words. It's that same concept. It's this concept that any word you can possibly find to describe it would fall so short of the experience you had. And if you're a believer and you've never experienced that inexpressible joy, especially in a moment of trial and tragedy, I'm praying for you. Not that I'm hoping and wishing trial and tragedy come upon your life, but man, when you experience that joy in a moment where you realize, you know, God is real, the hope of heaven is real, this horrible thing happened, but you know, this world is temporary, God is keeping me and guarding me, I'm good. It is such a wonderful thing to be able to experience this joy. And so today in this this relationship of love and trust that we have, when we say we have a personal relationship with Jesus, knowing that it's it's based upon and founded in love and trust, there's a gladness of heart. There is in my life. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just speaking unknowingly, but... I know many of you. And I know the trials that many of you have experienced. And I also know the great joy that you exhibit. And it's such an encouragement. And it is such a wonderful thing and such a powerful witness to the world. And so, Christian, you may have had a difficult time trying to explain that to a non believer. And that's on purpose, I think. Right? When we have those moments. And we're trying to explain how we can have joy inexpressible in a moment of great tragedy. And, 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 and at least in my life, most of the time I've ended with, you, you just got to experience it, man. I can't describe it to you. You just need to get saved and, and, and be forgiven and experience the power of God working in your life. And sometimes people come to Christ, you know, in those times. And sometimes others are like, no, it's ridiculous. I, that's just dumb. And that, that's up to God. That's between them and God. But biblically, joy is one of the greatest themes of God's people in every generation. You go through the Bible and do a word study if you're into that. Look at the word joy. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times through every generation of God's people. Tragedy, joy, tragedy, joy, tragedy, joy. It's hope. It's hope. That's how God works. You have all these generations of people throughout all time, just like you and me, that were recipients of this letter, were all the same. We never saw him. We never heard him with our, with our ears. There were only three to three and a half years of God walking on this earth in the flesh. But the majority of the time, the majority of all time, God's people never saw him. But they loved him, and they trusted him anyways. And the result is great joy. And I believe the reason why is in verse 9. He says, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, we experience inexpressible joy now, today, based on our personal relationship of love and trust that we have in Jesus Christ, because today, now, we possess the hope of our future salvation. There's a day coming where we're going to be set free from sin. There's going to be no sickness, no more tears, no more sorrow. I can't wait. But the fruit of that future salvation I have now, I get to experience that now. That hope that, 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 that I am God's child, that I am kept safe, that I am guarded by him. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in our living hope. Jesus Christ alive who has secured our future who just a couple verses earlier, it tells us, guards us today, is going to make sure we get to heaven no matter what takes place. We rejoice because we know, we believe, and we've experienced the truth of the gospel. We rejoice. We can rejoice because we have a personal relationship with our creator that is solid and unwavering. And we say, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, Now we have this treasure, this glory, this joy, this wonderful thing in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore also speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight, what is eternal, what is unseen to us today, but will be seen one day is Jesus Christ our God, our Savior, our hope, and our glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, the fact that you love us, God, is just indescribable. God, that in all of creation, in the infiniteness of all of it, you would look down and know us personally. That you would walk with us personally, not physically. We don't see you here the way we physically see other people, God, but we know you're here. We have felt the effects of your reality in our life. And God, just because we can't see you doesn't mean we can't love you. It doesn't mean we can't trust you. And God, so many of us believers have testimony of watching you work as we see the effects of your work in our lives, in our families' lives, in our friends' lives. God, every single one of us that profess to be a Christian have seen you work in that moment where we knew that the God of all creation has forgiven my sin and accepted me as his child, adopted me into his family, And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, the inexpressible joy that we have and that we can have in the various issues of life, God, isn't just beyond understanding to to those that don't know you, God. It's often beyond our own understanding, but we receive it and we say, Thank you that God, the hope of what is to come can affect my life today and can reassure me that I do indeed have a personal relationship with God Almighty. And thank you for that, Lord. While we're praying, if there's anybody in this room tonight, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never experienced true love, Maybe you've never been in a place where you've been able to have trust. Maybe your trust has been broken so many times you're like, there is no such thing. I believe God has spoken to you tonight. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you tonight about the love he has for you. The, the trust you can have in him and the relationship of love you can have with him. And it starts with coming to God and saying, God, I believe that you are real. I believe that you are God. I believe in what you did. I trust in what you said God and you said that I broke your law and I deserve death but you loved me so much that you came and you paid the price so that I could be saved and not only that that I could live the rest of life here on this earth with the hope of knowing that heaven is, is before me and that paradise is waiting for me and that between now and then you would be guarding me and God I want that. And so if you want to receive Jesus Christ tonight, just wherever you're seated in the room or if you're watching online, I just want you to pray with me. It's just a simple prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. You could repeat this after me out loud. You could repeat it in just the quietness of your own mind. But just say, God, I believe. I believe in who you are. I believe in what you've done. I don't know if I understand all of it right now, God, but I trust you. Lord, your word says that you love me. And God, I want to just show you how grateful I am by showing love back to you. God, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of all of my sin. Forgive me of all the sin I will ever do. Guard me. Keep me. Help me to live in this life. Despite tragedy, despite difficulty, with an inexpressible joy, let my life reflect that, God. Thank you for loving me so much that you would die for me. Thank you for loving me so much that you would work so hard to have a personal relationship with me. So God, even though I can't see you, I love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, I pray that God blesses your life abundantly. If you prayed to receive Jesus Christ tonight, um, we have some information we want to give you. So please come forward after we're done worshiping or go out into the foyer and see Robert and we call it a new believers pack, right? You know, because the thing we always say is you didn't join a church, you didn't Mm -hmm. join a religion, you've entered into a personal relationship with your God and we just want to help you in that. And so, with that, for the rest of us, you know, let's just keep soldiering forward, you know. And and if we've identified areas where we've been kind of lacking, and God's kind of pointed out tonight, hey, you're kind of straying on that obey my commands kind of thing. Listen to that voice, because as a loving Father, He will discipline, He will correct us, because it's all about bringing us back into that place of that perfect, unified, loving, trusting personal relationship that we have with Him. God bless you guys.